0: Well, hey, welcome everybody to Encounter Church on this Father's Day, Father's Day, uh, June 21, 2020. Hey, it means that uh, we're about halfway through the year 2020, which is a survival game. We've made it halfway. You're you're almost there. Congratulations! Uh, it's also Father's Day, so like, uh, what I'd like to do this morning is, uh, is play a little game. I'm going to invite everybody watching this, whether you're right on the lawn right now, outside of worshiping where I am at this exact moment, or you're at home, or maybe on your back deck or whatever. Just whoever you're with, even if you're by yourself, let's just play a little Father's Day fun game to get everybody into it. So everybody, whether you're dad or not or anybody, everybody needs just to like put one hand up in the air where you are. And the game is this. I'm going to say a line that dads love to say. And if you've heard one of these lines before, or if you've said one of these lines, then I want you just to put your hand down. So these are sayings that dads love to say. The first one is, I guess it's free then when a cashier has trouble ringing one up. Or answering the phone like, yellow. <laughs> Dads love saying they don't make them like they used to when something breaks. Dads love to say when they get the bill and look at it, so what's the damage then? Dads love to say that's where they get you whenever they uh, hear an advertiser disclose a hidden fee. These are just sayings, right, that dads love to say. If you still have your hand raised and you've never, uh, and, and you've never heard a dad say anyone, the final one is a dad walking out of the restroom, back to the table at a restaurant, probably wiping his hands on his pants and his awesome white New Balance sneakers, going, all right, let's rock and roll. I think we got them all now. We got everybody now. You've heard of one of these dad-isms, things dads love to say. In my house, Father's Day time comes around. One of the jokes, one of the memes that we love saying, we just kind of call it out because it is so epically true for us. It's this meme that says, ladies, if your fella said he's going to do something, he'll do it. You don't need to remind him every six months about it. It's it's funny because it's like in my house. It's so often that, like, I've got these projects that are just ongoing and ongoing. One of them for me is this, like, is this whining or the singing toilet that's uh, it's uh, upstairs. It's, it's the bathroom that's, like, in between all of the bedrooms, which you have to know because in the middle of the night, 1 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the morning, what I hear when the kids get up and they use the bathroom, they flush it as it fills. It's just, like, whines. It's like, ee- it's just it's this horrible noise and it wakes me out i get so frustrated you know tomorrow is the day i'm gonna do something about that you know it's gonna fix that thing it's been so long i even used this as a message illustration a while ago and you guys and i'm still using it and you guys a bunch of you sent me youtube links to be like dude it's not actually that hard of a fix it's a four dollar part in a seven minute youtube clip finally some good news it took a global pandemic and a stay-at-home order, but I fixed the toilet. Indeed, 15 minutes, seven of them were watching YouTube on how to do it. It wasn't a hard fix. And it leads us right into the message this morning. We're talking about words. We're talking about empty words. We're talking about empty, uh, empty promises and useless chatter. We're, we're talking about the things that you say that don't have a lot of action to come along with it. If I said I would do it, I'll do it. You don't need to remind me every six months. The series that we're in is called Splinters and Stones. And the idea behind the series is that every time you speak a word, it's a word of life or death. Words matter that much. We call it splinters and stones because every word that you share, either shares a splinter of the cross, a life, redemption, hope, or a stone of condemnation and death. And we're going to get to those words of redemption, of life, and hope next week. Today, we're talking about stones. We're talking about useless chatter. We're talking about empty promises from Proverbs chapter 25. I'd love for you to follow along in a Bible, wherever you are, maybe on your app, you can follow along at the words listed at the bottom of the screen below. Uh, Proverbs 25 kicks it off in verse 14. And just like, listen to the imagery that comes out. Like, word, like clouds and wind without rain is one who boasts of gifts never given. One who boasts of gifts never given. Proverbs, they're meant to be just kind of hung on to and mold over. Proverbs are meant to just kind of like like dwell on and say, when is that true? How is that true? When will I? How will I? And so like, when is this true? That's a promise is made. Gifts, are promise never follow through on. It reminds me. I'll tell you. Um, 1944 was the first time uh, this saying came about in a magazine called Agricultural Digest. Uh, shares this story of um, kind of a big, rough-talking, rowdy cowboy type who goes to his local bank. as you know, to Panhandle, Oklahoma, Northern Texas, something like that. Well, a frontier state type of thing. Uh, this big uh, cowboy goes to his bank, asks for a loan to get some get some work done. The loan officer, to their credit, decides to check this guy out a little. You know, is he going to pay back the loan? And so he goes and visits the ranch that the cowboy is is applying from. And he ends up on the way bumping into his neighbor. Happens to be a Native American, so there's a little bit of a, of a language barrier there. And so the banker's asking the neighbor, he's going, hey, you know, wh- what do you think about his uh, credit worthiness? Is he going to pay back the loan if he got one? And he's like wondering, you know, maybe did the, the, the things not translate well? Maybe is he going to come back? And the, and the neighbor just thinks for a moment. He looks at the sky, kind of looks at the dirt, looks back at the banker and he says, big hat, no cattle, and in those efficient four words, a saying was born, and, and that wouldn't go away. This saying, big hat, no cattle, it told the banker everything that he needed to know. This, this big, you know, rough-talking, loud-speaking cowboy type was all hat, no cattle, and nothing to back it up with. He's probably not going to pay back on the loan. He's not worthy of a credit that the bank would have to offer. Uh, right now, the, right now, the proverb is is like saying that, except for in an agricultural setting, it's like the farmer is going out, uh, particularly a farm. He keeps a, he, he keeps his crop uh, growing on the top of a hill. He can't get water up to irrigate. And so, what does he do? You know, he sees he looks over, and I got a picture of it here. He sees the clouds kind of rolling in, and they're threatening, and they're intimidating, and the the. Farmer is going, hey, finally, we got some clouds coming. We got some rain coming. And it's a promise of rain, except it doesn't come. Like the clouds just kind of scoot right over. Maybe it brings rain to a neighbor, but not him. And I think one of the things that the, uh, that the proverb writer here, the collector that he finds so important so is like, it's like the promise of rain it, it, no rain is almost even worse than like clear blue skies. You know, for us, we're like, hey, what's the big deal? You know, no rain, maybe a dry spot where the sprinkling doesn't hit. No rain for us means we can do church outside. No rain for us means park days, and beach days, and fun days. No rain for them meant a hungry winter. As the clouds roll in and then out, a farmer's gone, <laughs> it's like they're taunting me, teasing me. I'll tell you, a broken promise makes it worse. It's worse because they said that they would do something and didn't follow through than if they never said anything at all. I'm waiting on the electrician to show up. It's so important because the electrician shows up on Monday. On Tuesday, I've got a plumber. On Thursday, my inspection. On Friday, I've got a drywaller coming in. Uh, On Monday, again, i got the painter. i got the crew all lined up. We're moving in the week after next. Like, let's go. And Monday comes around. The electrician doesn't show up. Tuesday. Wednesday. Thursday. Hey, what's going on? I'll tell you, the, the broken promise made it worse. Some of you are seeing this to be true. Hey, kids, that's great news. I'm coming home early on Friday. I take it a half day. We're going to the park. One o'clock comes, two o'clock, three o'clock. He just gets a text. One word, park, question mark. The broken promise makes it worse. It's kind of a takeaway from this first section when we're talking about these empty promises, useless chatter, just make promises that you can keep. Keep the promises that you make. Make promises that you can keep and then keep the promises you can make. I want to warn you. Warn you about something is that There's something about people who make promises that they can't or won't keep. Two groups of people. The first group of people is people who do this intentionally. They have no intention on keeping the promise. They do it on purpose. It's it's people, employers, and maybe you've sat across the desk from one, who ask a bunch of questions and you got a chance to ask your questions. And the employer will say whatever it takes to get you into the job and eventually to keep you into the job. They have no intention on keeping the promises. You have to be warned that there are people out there who do this in relationships. They make promises in the relationship that they have no intention On keeping our salespeople who will say whatever it takes to get you to purchase a product or a service or subscription. And they have no intention on delivering on all of the, the talk, all of the promises that they made. I think those are rare, though. At least compared to the next group. People who unintentionally do this. People who unintentionally make promises that they cannot keep. Can you help out with the thing on Saturday? I got I got 20 kids coming out to the spark. Can you just like show up and 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 lend a hand? Of course I'll be there. I love to help. I love to serve. I love to jump in and do whatever it takes as needed. I love to to be needed. And then it's like a text that shows up. I'm sorry, and I can't make it. I can't make it. Yeah, I knew why, because we're standing next to that person. And it's like she had no business. He had no business saying yes to that commitment. I know their schedule. I've been standing next to them as they continue to say yes to thing after thing after thing. There's no possible way. They're just way over committed. And just remind yourself in those moments when you're so tempted to say yes, because you want to help, you want to be needed, you want to make a difference. Remind yourself. It says all clouds and no rain. The the broken promise makes it worse. Make promises that you can keep. Keep the promises that you make. And this is all about promises. This is about keeping those promises or, or unkept promises, empty promises. There's also a thing as useless chatter. This is just like the words that are air and maybe some sound, but there's not any substance that comes along with it. Listen to this one from Proverbs chapter 14, Proverbs 14, uh, verse 23. Just a wise saying. It says this, that work brings profit. Mere talk leads to poverty. Mere talk leads to poverty. Just this is this, this chatter that's going on. We're talking about it. We're talking. What the Proverbs, what the author here is doing is simply saying, you know, there's a difference. There's a monumental difference between looking outside and seeing that the field needs to be plowed, planted and harvested and talking about how much the field needs to be plowed, planted, harvested, and actually getting out in the hot sun, in the heat, the humidity, getting out there and actually doing the work. We can talk about it as a work that comes along with it on the other side of things. So I'm, I'm going to get real with you in like a moment of like vulnerability from my heart is that uh, 15 years about ago, my wife and I, we got married, and we were like babies, you know, when we got married. We were like ultrasounds up there, like doing the thing. But listen, um, we were both 21. I was just turned 21 when I got married. We had another year of college yet to go. And uh, we did like the Dave Ramsey thing, right, because we had to. We were working after-school jobs to pay for college and rent, right? And we took that saying that, that Dave taught us in our Financial Peace University class, like every dollar has to have a name. And we're like, yes, because honestly, it's not too hard to get our dollars on the payday and to like count them off. It was that easy. There just weren't that many of them. Every dollar had a name. And then fast forward five years, something happened. Interesting. Um, this weird new feeling set in. It was called comfort. Some of you maybe have experienced that. Some of you will still praying. This weird thing called comfort, where it's like, "Hey, she's uh, working. I'm working. We not only have jobs, we have like the semblance of a career starting to come together. A couple of paychecks, fewer bills, especially before kids. It's like this is this is amazing. This is feeling of like freedom and and like comfort. And the dollars didn't have names anymore." A few more years go by, and we decide that now's the time for my wife to go quit her job, go back to school. And I'm telling you, um, what happens is that the income was about halved. The budget was not. Spending was not. You can imagine how that led to some direct talk (laughs) between the two of us. You know, in the in the weeks and months that ensued after that, we talked about a budget. We talked about cutting expenses. We talked about picking up side hustles and like after uh, after work kind of jobs to make a little bit of money. We talked and we talked and we talked and we talked and we talked. But I still remember the day. I remember the day when when both of us, our kids were at, at school, our grandmas are somewhere, and we've all sat down and we stopped talking and we started working. We did something about it. We sat on the computer with a little Excel thing with the Google version, the free version, because I'm cheap like that. Some of you know that. And we put in our little numbers into those little boxes and we do formulas. And then every single week from that moment out we both gathered together, usually on a Friday or Saturday. We gathered together. We'd review the past week and line by line, we just tracked to make sure that that we're on with the budget. That every dollar now, once again, had a name. We talk, which generally leads to poverty, but work. And so the encouragement here from Proverbs is to say, maybe, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time that you just stop talking, and start working. Start doing something. Start doing. Stop talking about it. One of the most um, uh, famous productivity lessons came from a president of ours uh, some years back. President Eisenhower is famously productive and, and he got so much Incredibly done in the years after World War II, when he was the president of the United States. Um, what he did was uh, he, he started these initiatives like the interstate highway system. He came up with you know he pioneered that one. Uh, what he did was uh, the DARPA initiative, uh, which eventually led to the invention of the internet. He came up with this like or he uh, led the the charge exploration of space, which you now know as NASA. The clean alternative energy, which is important. The Atomic Energy Act. I mean, just he, he just like led the charge on so much getting done in a short while. And and when asked about his his, his keys to productivity success, um, he shared with us, it's kind of, some of you have seen this before, where it's the important and urgent matrix. Some people call it the Eisenhower box or the Eisenhower matrix. You just hang out on this one for a bit. What we've got here on the left side is this not important or important split. And then on the top is urgent and not urgent. And I just want to kind of point this out. A lot of you have seen this in the past. What we've got here is most of the time we spend our, our, our energy on the important and urgent. These are the emails that come in. This is the phone that rings. This is the stuff that's demanding your attention right now, this exact moment. You know, you might look and spend some time, too much time on the not important, not urgent. Right? This is basically most of Netflix and YouTube kind of, except for when you're fixing a toilet, like fitting into this category, Right? He's like, you just gotta delete that, you gotta get rid of that. But what I want to talk about this morning is to dial in on this important and not urgent box. What in your life is important and not urgent? You know, maybe there's something uh, you could like look at that box and say, that's me. Something that I need to dial in, something that I need to work out, something that's that's not gonna chirp, it's not gonna buzz, it's not gonna email me, it's not gonna demand my attention in this exact moment. But it is incredibly important to my long-term health and success and even eternity. I think a couple of things that fit into that box, your relationships with your kids. It's Father's Day after all. Maybe a wife, husband, maybe a parent, maybe an aging parent. And they're not going to chirp. They're not going to buzz. They're not going to email you demanding attention. It's not that urgent, but it is so incredibly important. What's, what's important? The big blocks in your life that need a little less talk and a bit more work, a bit more sweat, elbow grease right behind it. I want to highlight a couple of them, at least for us as a, as a church community. So what I would love to see I look at that important box and I can see jumping out at us, maybe a faith thing, a faith thing that says, we need to, we need to get better. We need to do better at this. What I would love to see for us as a church community is to look at this important box and not an urgent, not an email or a buzz or a chirp, but an important concept. Like, listen, today I'm going to start. I'm going to start a plan. I'm going to start a Bible reading plan. I'm going to start asking for prayer requests. I'm going to start my day with like 30 seconds of just silence, expecting to hear the voice of God nudging me into what I'm supposed to do with my day, how I'm supposed to live for that day. I would love for us as a church to look into this thing and say, especially for the dads among us, to say, listen, I'm going to step into an important way. I'm going to step into becoming the dad that he has called me. He has demanded that I be. I'm going to step into the identity That he created for me. I'm I'm going to take one more step to what that looks like. As a Dad, I'm going to go home today and I'm going to ask my kids, what's something that I can pray for? Ask my wife or the person in my life, what can I pray for you today? And then they're going to tell me, I'm going to write it down in front of them. And then one week, I'm going to come back to them. I'm going to say, I've been praying for that all week long. How have you seen God show up and move through the thing that you asked for? And if they say, well, he hasn't really, I haven't seen it, I'm going to write it down again. I'm going to keep on praying because it's important and it will not demand my attention. But Listen, we don't want to lose our lives on account of it just because it's not chirping, just because it's not buzzing. I'll share with you um, what happens when we stop just the useless chatter and we get right down to it. This is a story from Nehemiah chapter four, verse six. And Nehemiah four, six is a story where the Babylonians came in and they just, they just ruined the city. They ruined the walls. They brought it all down. And it was just, it was rubble. It was stones near other stones, not even on top of each other for, for decades. And so one time Nehemiah comes back, he says, we're going to do something about this he starts instructing the people with these materials. He starts building these these walls up, these defenses up around Jerusalem, around the city. And in that day especially, it was so critically important because because without walls, without a defense system, many people just came in, they took what they wanted, and they left. Without this defense system, they couldn't grow anything. They couldn't build anything. They couldn't have anything. They lived in perpetual poverty. And oftentimes, they didn't live or survive at all, and Nehemiah comes in. He says, "We're gonna, we're gonna build this up on the outside, so that we can actually build something and grow something life inside." And he instructs the people to gather around. This is, this is what happens. Nehemiah chapter four, verse six. He's just like recording this line. He says, um, "So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. It's not done, but it's almost there. All of it reached half its height for the people." Worked, and I love this phrase, with all their heart. They just kept on working at it with all their heart. They threw everything they had into that work. And it wasn't done, but it was half done. It was, it was there. You could see it. It was encouraging. And I just want to point out that those walls were rubble for 70 years, decades. And Nehemiah tells us elsewhere, do you know how long it took to build that wall half high? Just 52 days. 52 days to get a good start on something that would outlast them all. 52 days to build a wall that would last centuries. Listen, I'm asking, church, if you stopped the useless chatter and you started working, what could you do in 52 days? What kind of dad could you become in 52 days? What kind of church could you have? What kind of community could you have in 52 days without chatter, but hard work? I just want you to resolve today. No more talk, no more chatter, time for work. If you need to, just remind yourself that I will not complain my way into a better marriage. I will not excuse myself into a healthier lifestyle. I will not grumble my way out of debt. I'd like to teach you a prayer. And it's just simple this. Wherever you are, at home, on our lawn right now, live, that's okay. The simple prayer is this, and I'm going to ask for you actually to close your eyes and repeat after me out loud. The prayer goes like this. It's simply, Jesus Your cross forgives me. Your resurrection empowers me. Amen. That's a simple prayer. Jesus, your cross forgives me. Your resurrection empowers me. And that's what we forget sometimes. We forget that the power of God, the power that raised Jesus up to life is the power living inside of us. Is the power for change to stop talking and start doing. Right now what we have in our, in our community is this talk, this chatter about racism in the church, outside in our hearts, outside of our hearts, in culture, in society. And I'm just I'm struck with this. I'm so struck with this, church, that simple line I was reading in the prologue of this book somebody recommended, so starkly simple, and the line is simply this, is that do you believe, do I believe, Dirk, that on the inside, like humanity, we're all the same. At the way our brains function, the way our hearts beat into the arteries and back again in the veins, I think that's how it works. Inside, do I believe that that we're all the same? I do, I do. Then why do we see all these disparities in public health and education and housing, poverty rates? How do we see these people groups that are systematically disadvantaged again and again and again if people are all the same? Is it maybe true that there's something on the outside that's happening to all this? And is it maybe time right now for less useless chatter and more doing? Jesus, your resurrection empowers us to tackle this thing. So church, what we're doing as a community, what we're going to do from now until the end of the month, the movie Just Mercy is free on Google Play, Netflix, and and YouTube. We're going to watch the movie. It's a simple act. It's a simple next step. Watch a movie, Just Mercy. Have our hearts broken by the story and the content and then show up to talk about it. July 1, 5 o'clock, Wednesday, we're going to have a conversation about what it means for us and what we can do next. It's going to be broadcast right back here, live on YouTube and Facebook Live, July 1, 5 p.m. It's a Wednesday. Engage in the conversation. Engage in what can we do next. Jesus, your cross forgives me. Your resurrection hope empowers me. A final thought, my friends. This week, I know me. And I know I'm going to make a promise that I will not or cannot keep. I know that I'm a broken person. I know that I'm fallible and sinful. But I want you to know that you have a God in heaven who will never break his promises to you. That you have a God in heaven who makes outlandish and outsized promises right directly to you and to his people. I want you to know that you have a God in heaven who looked down on one man in Genesis 12, Abraham, and said, hey, through your line, I'm going to bless every nation on earth. And it was laughable how large, how outsized this promise was. I want to know, I want you to know that you have a God in heaven who looked on a uh, King David. He's a good king. Some people would say he's a great king, except for he's a great king of a little nation. It's not Babylon. It's not Egypt. It's little Israel. It's like small cap, middle size, middle man. But he's a good king and God looks at this good king in a little nation called Israel and he says, somebody from your line is gonna sit on the throne and will never be taken away ever. Year after year, generation after generation, for all eternity, God made this promise. It's far outsized, it's outlandish, it's even preposterous. God makes these promises to say, listen, there is a way, there is a way for you to escape death. There's a way for you to survive it, to have even life, eternal life. On the other side, there's a way for you to live with freedom today and every day after that. These are outsized, outlandish, preposterous promises that God makes, and he keeps them every time. And the answer In Jesus, he keeps his promise. In Jesus, in Genesis 12, every nation is blessed. In Jesus, the answer is yes, every single time. In Jesus, the answer is yes, we do have a good king, a moral king, a just king, who will reign for all eternity, generation after generation. In Jesus, the answer is yes. When we turn to him and we say, I cannot forgive my own sin. I cannot even escape my own sin. I cannot survive my own death. The answer in Jesus is yes, every single time. You got to know I'm going to break my promises. You're going to make a promise this week or next. Eventually, you know that you will. You have a God in heaven who will never break his promise to you. Trust him. Turn your heart over to him. This week, right now, drop a comment in the section below. Send us a direct message, a private message. Just you and us. We want to celebrate with you what God is doing. Type amen, praise, hands, emojis. We want to celebrate with you. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, you make promises. You keep promises. Again and again and again, no matter what, you are faithful. We look to your cross, and we know that that day, Good Friday, brings forgiveness. We look at Sunday, Easter Sunday. We look at this resurrection hope that we have, and, and you empower us. You live inside of us to create that change, calling us to be in our identity. God, we ask that we not talk about it anymore, but we follow through with it with action. May we live into your resurrection power. May we be reminded this week, day after day, find ways, Lord, to tell us that you are a God who will always keep his promises. God, that you are a God who does incredible things, does beautiful things. God, that you are a God who turns ashes into beauty. God, that you are a God who turns shame into glory. God, that you are a God who turns bones into armies and seas into highways. That you are a God that turns the graves that we live and walk around in each day into this beautiful garden where new life is growing and growing right now. God, in Jesus, our answer is yes and amen. Amen.